0: are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. First Samuel 17, of course, you recognize as being the story of David and Goliath. That's not what I'm going to be speaking to you about. And I won't belabor the point to go back and and read all the background to it, but I do want to take you down to the verse of Scripture, beginning at verse number 28. David had come and recognized that Goliath was against God's army, and he sort of threw his head back and threw his shoulders back, and he said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Well, the Bible said that before David had gotten there, this big giant, almost 10 feet and in height had frightened the army of God so badly that they had run to the trenches and so when David stood there Bible scholars tell us somewhere in the age of 18 around 18 years of age when David identified the problem and he asked that question that I just told you a moment ago someone heard this squeak 18 year old kid and didn't like what he heard the somebody was David's eldest brother Eliab now I can imagine I can identify with Eliab here Eliab is on his stomach in the trenches his face is down in the mud and he is hiding for his life and all of a sudden his kid brother comes to show him up and so the Bible says that Eliab stood up and full upright in his height and he looked at David and there we find that conversation in verse number 28 Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? By the way, here God's army is in the trenches hiding from the enemy and he pretends like he's worried about a bunch of stupid sheep. Wasn't what he was worried about at all. He was worried about his pride. Here he is on his stomach in the mud, and Kid Brother is saying, Come on, I want to take you on, giant. And now, here's what Eliab said. He said, Number one, I know thy pride. And he said, I know the naughtiness of your heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. I've the oldest brother i have got four younger brothers god did not see fit to put a daughter in my mom and dad's home he knew that the five boys would have killed her by accident (laughs) and the five uh, the, the 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 four younger brothers i have i remember the first day that my younger brother rick myself and rick's four years younger than i am my brother rick beat me in arm wrestling made me so mad i could have popped his head off only thing i couldn't because he just beat me in arm wrestling but I, I got mad that, he, and I said, I jerked my hand out of his hand. And I said, I don't feel good today. My arm's kind of got a strain here today. And by the way, I've never arm wrestled him since that day, and never will. I can kind of identify with lie here when he got angry at David, and he accused him of some very awful things. He said, number one, David, younger brother, kid, pipsqueak. Number one, your heart is filled with pride. And number two, you're naughty. Now, men, look at me and tell me if I'm not telling you the truth. When you got called to preach, you were excited about it. Perhaps you came to an altar like this and your home pastor came down and shook your hand or hugged your neck and said, man, we're proud of you. That's wonderful. God bless you. And then you began to pray about how you could afford to go to Bible college and you went. And you studied and did your best and finally that day came when you got out of Bible college and you got to go out and preach. And your mama was glad and your daddy was glad and your home pastor was glad and and your aunts and uncles were excited and your brothers were happy. And you began to pastor and when you began to preach the truth, somebody said, hey, I know the pride of your heart. I know that you're naughty. Who do you think you are? God? God? Anybody ever heard of that? Of course you have. You know what happens to us? We get a little bit discouraged. Man, every, I, I'm here to tell you, there have been times when I have been heaped upon by folks about something that I'd either did on purpose or did by an accident and they accused the motives of what I had done and I, when they got finished with me, I said, You're right. I'm just a bum. Kill me. Send me to heaven. Get me out of this mess. I don't like myself anymore. When they get through with you, man, you don't feel like you're as good as an earthworm. But that's not the way you ought to be. The Bible said, and I love this, in verse 29, David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And then verse 30. I love it. I love it. I love it. Listen to it. He turned... From him, toward another. I'll bring you a message this morning entitled "The Other One." The other one. You know, sometimes when you get in a mess and you know you're in a mess, and you know even you know what you need to do to get out of the mess, you still need the other one. I was preaching uh, in in the Midwest and borrowed a car, and went down to the shopping center to buy some stuff that I needed, and came back out to the car, and the stupid thing was dead, wouldn't start. It was like the car Brother Harold had on the video last night. Matter of fact, it may have been the same one. And I was standing there looking at the car, and a guy came by and he said, "Is your car dead?" I said, "Yeah, it won't even turn over." He said, "I've got some jumper cables. Do you mind? Do you need some help?" I said, "Sure." Well, man, I put up my hood, he put up his, and in just a couple of minutes, we had hooked up together, and the car started. Now, wait a minute. I knew the car was dead. I knew the battery needed a jump start. I knew that I had to have some help, but I couldn't accomplish the task until the other one came and said, let me help. I want to tell you this evening, this afternoon, about the other one. Number one you and i at times need the other one number two sometimes you need to be the other one and sometimes we need to seek the other one i was for a short while working when i was not in meetings as just a young preacher i think i was 20 23 years old when I, when I was not in meetings, a pastor by the name of Ed Denant in Grand Blanc, Michigan. Anybody know of Brother Denant, ever met him or heard of him? Pastor, his church ran about 1,500 there in Grand Blanc, And uh, a great, great man of God and a good preacher and a good pastor. He recognized that this kid preacher uh, went sometimes weeks and weeks and weeks without a meeting. It's that way when you first start out. Amen, Brother Getch? And he said, look, Wally, when you're not out of town, why don't you come teach my teenagers and preach to them during a teenage preaching time and I'll pay you uh, X amount of money a week just, just, just to show up on Sunday. Well, he didn't need me. He was wanting to help me. What a great man. I, I, and by the way, I didn't realize it at the time, but as I grew older and realized what the ministry's about, I recognized what he was doing for me. And uh, while I was there, I met a fellow I'll, I won't call his name. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say his name was uh, uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor Davis. Let's call him Pastor Davis. I, I went to him and, I, man, I heard him teach. I heard him preach. He was great. One day I went to him and I said, Look, I, I hope you don't misunderstand when I, the, what's behind my, my question. I said, Man, you're a great preacher. How is it that you're on staff here At this church now that does not mean that if you're a staff member that you've got to be boring and a a nerd and a geek and all that kind of stuff but usually when you hear someone that could preach like he preached man they're they're usually pastoring or evangelist or something like that and I said how is it that you're on staff he said well said brother Davis I had a church got a church in the northern part of Michigan matter of fact it was a very large church a church that ran over a thousand he said brother davis the church got large enough that uh, men began to ask me to travel and i would go on monday and tuesday soul winning kind of meetings and uh, sunday school clinic kind of meetings and just old-fashioned preaching meetings he said one day i w- was coming back home late uh, on a tuesday night i'd been out preaching but it's close enough i could drive home that night and i went by the church go by the church on the way home always stopped in he said to pick up my messages and and uh, see if there was anything I needed to care for immediately and so I stopped by the office and he said man there were cars all over the parking lot he thought I he said I, I thought well, well what what staff member has an activity tonight or is it a singles group meeting or, or what's going on he said I'll go in and greet the folks when he got in there a man met him in the lobby of the building he said pastor we knew that your habit was to stop here when you could uh, on the way home from uh, your meetings and we knew that you'd be close enough that you'd be here tonight he said would you come into the auditorium please the pastor told me he said well I thought well they're going to give me some kind of an honor and well okay well I'll come on in he said and I walked in kind of shyly and he said there were about 350 folks in that auditorium he said I was sort of looking around like well wher- where's the gift that they have for me it must be around here somewhere he so said I was around for banners or balloons or something he said, and I got in the auditorium, and they ushered me down toward the front. And a man came up on the platform and walked behind the pulpit. He thought, well, here, here comes the presentation. I'll, I'll act really kind of humble, and, and uh, it'll be kind of neat. And the guy walked behind the pulpit. and He said, the Constitution said we could not have a church business meeting without the pastor. He said, now the pastor's here. The meeting will begin. Little red flags jumped up all over the place in the pastor's mind. And the meeting began, and in just a moment, it was voiced that they were there to kick the pastor out of the church that night. man had built those buildings. Went there, there was nothing. He erected them. He stood to his feet and got to the back of the auditorium before a guy ran and grabbed hold of him. He said, you're not leaving. You, you, the, the Constitution says you've got to be here. You're here. You're not leaving. Sit down. pastor said, I'm not sitting down. Meet if you want to. It's illegal. I'm out of here. He said, Brother Davis, I got into the foyer of the church, and he said, when they saw what was happening, the entirety of the congregation surged towards me. I got into the... Four-year, which is much like ours out here about matter of fact close to the same size as the foyer that you came through here from the street he said and the surge was so intense that it knocked me down to the floor he said people began to step on me in in the confusion he said I looked up and was trying to raise myself up. I was grabbing a hold of people's arms. He said, I was getting trampled to death. He said, I finally got myself up to my feet, and this woman came grabbing. He said, the large lady grabbed hold of me and said, you're not leaving. said, as she grabbed my arm, he said, and Brother Davis, she bit me. He said, blood was coming out through my, my suit coat sleeve. He said i realized it was out of control he said and he said he said i was afraid he said i he said i knew that they didn't even know what they were doing i was afraid i was going to die he said my son-in-law was driving by at just about that time he said my son-in-law saw the cars he thought what's going on there he whipped into the parking lot he saw the awful commotion he said brother davis my son-in-law weighs 350 pounds He said he opened up those doors, he just started grabbing people and throwing them right and left like grabbing books off a bookshelf. He said he scooped me up in his arms like I was a footballer and ran me out to the truck and took me home. He said, I tried, but I never recovered. He said, what am I doing here? He said, Pastor Ed DeNant put me back together. By the way, that man's pastoring today. You know why? There was another one to which he was able to turn for help. Men, let me tell you something. Not if discouragement comes, but when it comes. Could I just tell you, let Eliab rattle his mouth in the wind. Find another one and march on forward for the cause of Christ. Just find the other one. That doesn't mean that you've got to leave your church to find the other one. But I mean, if, if they're in your church, then, then let the guys complain. You can't control their mouth. But find another one and stand with them and work with them. Like Brother Gray this morning as he walked, he said, Come on with me. Come on with me. While the gripers are in the corners trying to cause you trouble, get the other ones to go with you and do the job. I will never forget... as an eighteen-year-old preacher having literally just really destroyed disillusioned in the ministry as an eighteen-year-old kid my pastor had invited me to preach and the very first sermon I ever preached in my life in my home church on a Sunday morning we had a lot of folks come to the altar no one ever came to the altar in our church and I don't know why they came when I preached several were saved no one ever got saved in our church. We were tipi- I, I, I grew up not far from, uh, from Dr. Tom Malone's church in Michigan, but I never knew about him because my church hated those kind of ministries. I'd never heard of Dr. Rice or Dr. Hiles or Malone or, or, or any of those men. When I finished preaching that morning, my pastor ran out into the parking lot grabbing people before they got in their cars, and he stopped them. He said, hold it, hold it. He said, I want to apologize. He said, what went on in that auditorium this morning was not of God. He said, that was nothing but emotionalism. Those people that came to get saved, they will never stick. That wasn't for real. He did not know this, or maybe he didn't care. Or maybe he wasn't worried about knowing it. But he did not know this i overheard what he said to one of the families took my heart and busted it in a thousand pieces imagine i was an 18 year old kid i was no threat to that pastor and i said if that's what the ministry is all about i quit i quit by the way i did not go back to church that next sunday nor the following sunday nor the following sunday nor the following sunday When it came down time to go back to Bible college, I told my mom, I'm not going back to Bible college. I quit. I asked my father, get me a job at General Motors. I'm going to work in General Motors. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to buy a little house with a white picket fence and have a wife and a dog and some kids and a swimming pool in the backyard and a couple of cars and and, and a couple of ski-doos and a motorcycle. Just going to be a normal guy. My mom called the other one. His name was Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien came into my house about 12.30 on Monday morning. The car was leaving for Bible college at 6 o'clock from the church parking lot. Bill walked into my room. I, was, I wasn't asleep. I was on my bed and I was just stewing. By the way, that entire summer, which should have been the best summer of my life between my freshman and sophomore years of Bible college. And I was, in, I was mad the whole summer he walked into my room and he said wally and i looked at him and i was going to say bill if you're to bug me about bible college just just go let me alone i didn't get that much out of my mouth i said bill and he looked at me he said you hush and for the next 45 minutes the other one preached to me in my bedroom and could i tell you when the sun came up that morning i was packing to go back to bible college let me tell you something there are times old david needs to turn away from alive and find the other one just find the other one hang around that crowd you say well everybody hates me by the way usually when someone goes hey hey brother davis did you know that everybody is saying you know who everybody usually is that guy's wife it ain't everybody you, you just don't uh, you say, "Why are you preaching this here?" And Brother Trebert and I were talking, it's been back over a year and a half or so going out, a pastor friend that I, I've had lunch with and knew him well, and Brother Treebert known of him, pastored out east. His church got so against him, and not, not, not even enough to get him voted out of the church or anything like, but just the, just the strife. One morning, his wife went to get him out of bed, and he had taken a gun and killed himself. He said, Brother Davis, that's radical. That never happened to any of us. He was one of us. Now, listen, guys, don't let the stinking, no good for nothing, dirty, rotten, pagan devil get you so down that you want to quit if you get discouraged by the way it's 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 normal some guys say i haven't been discouraged since the date since i've been born <laughs> well that's an unusual turkey amen <laughs> that's an unusual breed i'm gonna tell you man i've been discouraged i think any man in this room that's pastored for more than 24 hours would have to tell you uh, there have been times during that 24-hour period you've gotten a little bit down discouraged about one thing or another but well, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to let it get you down. Because for every Eliab that's there telling you how naughty you are, how filled with pride you are, the other one is on your side. Not only do you need, and by the way, this other one I'm talking about here is the other one with the skin on. Amen. I'm going to talk about the other other one in a minute. But not only do you need to go to the other one on occasion to find help, but by the way, you need to be the other one when you find David in trouble. I want you to take your Bibles and please turn to the book of Acts chapter 9. The book of Acts chapter 9 and we're going to look together there at verse number 26. It says, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. Now, wait a minute. Saul was the guy that had been throwing all the guys in jail just prior to this. He'd had a writing that gave him a, the, the authority from his government to arrest any Christian he found. And when, when Saul would come, they would run and hide because he had the authority to, to capture them and put them in chains and lock them in dungeons. And now all of a sudden the Bible said that Saul said, Hey, let me have a word with you guys. Sure, Saul. Now we really believe you. Now the Bible says when he essayed to join himself to the disciples, they were afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. It says in verse 27, But Barnabas, did you get that? But Barnabas, thank God, took him. And he brought him to the apostles and he declared unto them how that he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how that he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Now I want you to see what a result took place because of what Barnabas did. Look at verse 29. Now talking about Saul, he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. A moment ago, he was not allowed to address the crowd. A moment ago, they wanted to flee just by looking at his appearance and presence. A moment ago, they had no ear to hear what he had to say. But Barnabas came and said, Listen, let me tell you about this guy. He's all right. He's seen the Lord. Let him speak. There have been times, hallelujah to God, the folks that I have known that made a difference more than you can begin to understand have come to me and been the other one. About 19 night, won't say 85 I think about 1985 there were some Eliabs that It just really convinced me that I just wasn't much at all. By the way, it's pretty true. <laughs> but it's pretty bad when they convince you of it. I mean, you ought to be your own best fan, right? <laughs> when you turn against yourself, you're in big trouble. It was to the point that some preachers may be able to identify what I'm saying. Not all of you, perhaps. I hope you can't. Some of you probably do. It was to the point I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to see another preacher. Oh, not because I didn't love them, man. I loved the fire out of them. But I just thought it was just pretty much over. I had gone to Michigan to pick up my daughters who were staying, my mom and dad. We decided to go to church in Michigan. I said honey we're going to go to this large church here and I said we're going to wait until right before church starts she said well why do that I said I don't want to see anybody I don't want to talk to anybody I want to go now, I, I'm not mad I'm not rebellious I'm not, I'm not even bitter but I, I'm embarrassed I said I want to just slip in and sit in the back row I, I don't want to talk to anybody I walked into the building, sat down in the back row. The pastor mounted the platform and he looked out and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I don't believe it. He said, I see my good friend Wally Davis sitting back there. See, he knew the whole situation. By the way, he knew how I felt. He said, Wally. Would you come on down here and testify? He said, I want my people to meet you. He said, How long I want them to know that I love you. He said, and ushers get ready when he gets done. So we're taking the biggest offering we've ever taken on us for a moment like this. And we're going to give it to him. You say, Brother Davis, that doesn't mean, that, that, that wasn't very much. You have no concept on this earth what that did for me. I realized that, yeah, there are some guys that maybe you don't want to have to talk to anymore. But there's a lot of guys out there that just want to be the other one. Thank God when you run across someone like that, you've got a pretty precious jewel of a friend. There's no way. There's no way in this world. I could tell you how much of another one this man right here has been to me. He doesn't need a staff evangelist. <laughs> he doesn't need me. I cost more money than I am worth. What he pays? He doesn't need me. He sits. Well, said, boy. I want you to meet Brother Davis. and He's a great man, boy. His, he and his family—they mean more to this church than you ever. Good. Nah. I sit over there in that pew. I stretch my legs out. That's why I sit in that pew because there's nothing in front of me. And I stretched my legs out and crossed my feet and put my arms around like this. And I amen and praise the Lord and all that stuff. You men that got the agendas of the staff meeting and is in there saying, all right, Condit, how many phone calls you make? How many, you know, how you went down there? How did you get down there? How many in a baptism? Harold and Teacon and, and Condit and Sly and my name wasn't on there. But you doesn't do that to me. I'm the staff evangelist. I'm not here that much. You say, then how come you're the staff evangelist of North Valley Baptist Church? I'll tell you why. One reason only. It was Brother Trever's way of being the other one to me. My prayer to God would be for you gentlemen to call yourselves preachers and have churches and maybe evangelists and missionaries you're in full-time Christian service would to God every one of you would have another one like him by the way this room has about four or five more men just like that to me Brother Tomlinson every once in a while I'd eat a Carl's Jr and I no sooner get the hamburger eaten than I'm finding a phone somewhere and I'm calling him on the phone because we used to go to Carl's Jr. all the time and eat hamburgers together. I can't go in one without thinking about him. And I'll call him on the phone, interrupt some important staff meeting that he's having setting the, uh, the, setting the, the new trend for his church to win Irvine to Christ. And uh, I'll say, I just got a hankering to say hi. You know why? just need to talk to the other one every once in a while for the Paul Chapel. He has me down to his place. I, I've most of the miles on my car from driving from here down to Brother Chapel's and back and forth. He doesn't need me. He's being the other one. Now, listen to me. Barnabas, find yourself a Saul that needs you. Not, and I'm not saying, okay, everybody adopt Wally. That's not what I'm getting at. <laughs> Although. If you insist, I'll meet you out here and settle something after, you know, I'll get a meeting lined up. But you know there are a lot of fellows out there that need another one. Lots of them. And then I'd like to say this. If you turn to the Gospel of John. Chapter 14. Jesus is getting ready to go. Well, I hope he's getting ready to come now, aren't you? Yeah. Jesus is getting ready to go. He says in verse 16, now he said, look guys, I'm going to leave. I know it's kind of a sad day for you, and maybe all of everything that you thought I was going to accomplish didn't get accomplished, but I, I got to go. And he said, look, I'm going to pray the Father, and he shall give you another Comforter. My wife and I had been married maybe two months. I was the assistant pastor with uh, Brother Den Carroll, and just outside of Kalamazoo, Michigan, his youth pastor, and we didn't have a telephone. Not because we were snotty, didn't want anybody to bother us. We, we couldn't afford a telephone. Still can't, but uh, you never can afford anything. Isn't that right? No matter how much money you make, you still can't afford anything. But then, I, just, I mean, really couldn't afford it. About 2 o'clock in the morning, the, we were living in a basement apartment, and the lady that lived upstairs was hollering downstairs. And I woke up, I thought, good night, 2 o'clock in the morning, what's going on? She said, Brother Davis, there's a phone call. Somebody had gotten her numbers, an emergency number, and called. And I went upstairs and staggered around in the darkness and found the telephone. On the other end of the line was the voice of my mother-in-law weeping. My wife's mom. It took her a long time, and finally she was able to make me aware that she was calling to let me know that Shirley's daddy was dead. 39 years of age. like getting hit with a sledgehammer i remember after i talked for a while to mom and hung the phone up and sitting there in that chair in the darkness i said dear god how am i going to go back downstairs and tell my wife her daddy is gone but two months ago she was just coming down the aisle of first baptist church of hammond on his arm to be given away in matrimony to this kid preacher Now he's gone. He had been asleep in a motel room. And a fire had broken out. He tried to make his way out of the door. And he came out of the door of his room and turned down the hallway to get where he thought the exit was. And he went into the hot spot, they call it or been burning from beneath. And when he stepped on that part of the floor, he fell down into the fire. I went down and sat down next to Shirley. I said, come here, honey. I got to hold you for a second. After a minute, she said, honey, something bad wrong. Just go ahead and tell me. Oh, and I had to tell her that her daddy was gone. I don't know exactly how long we sat there, embraced, weeping, trying to pray but couldn't. You ever been there? Trying, wanting to, nothing would come out. We got dressed, and I notified my pastor that I had to leave town the wee hours of the morning and made it down to Hammond, Indiana. We went down to the morgue. My mother-in-law and my, my brother-in-law Randy were there and the others of the family. And the nurse came out and she said, I'm sorry. She said, we can't make a positive identification of the body. She said, I hate to tell you this, but he's so badly burned and mutilated, we have no idea who he is. She said, One of you will have to come in and make the identification. Randy looked at me and said, Wally, I don't think I can do that. I looked at mom and I said, Mom, I don't want you to go in there. I said, I'll try. I don't want to go. Then my mom said, Mother in law said, Try one last thing she said he always had a ring on this finger here had the initials, his initials LB the lady said ma'am we've looked all over him she said there's no ring my mother-in-law said look again she went a little bit later she came back she said I'm sorry she said it was embedded and we couldn't see it is this the ring My mother and all looked and began to weep. She said, that's the rain. I remember getting off alone and I said, dear God, somehow you've got to do something for my wife. I can't help her. I can't comfort her. Oh, I can be there, but I can't reach in there. God, you've got to do something. My wife had tried for years to make sure that her daddy was saved. C.W. Fisk, when he was on staff at First Baptist, went by, tried to win my father and all the Lord on many occasions, could never find him at home. We went down to Fayetteville, Tennessee. My wife's uncle preached the funeral service as a preacher. When it was over, he came back and he said, Kids, can I talk to you for a minute? We went off to a little room. He said, I know that you're probably worried about this, honey, talking to my wife. He said, and I want to tell you this. He said, when your daddy, LB, was 14 years old, he said, I was his oldest brother. He said, I was preaching a revival meeting down here, an old-fashioned tent, sawdust-on-the-ground revival meeting." He said, honey, and when your daddy was 14 years of age, he came forward at the invitation when I was preaching. He said, and I knelt in the sawdust with my brother, and I want him to Jesus. He said, I just thought maybe you might like to know that and maybe it would help some. Help some? The comforter came. Fellas, The midnight watches of the night. The fourth watch that Brother Getz talked about. When you can't sleep because you don't know what to do when you wake up the next day. And you think there's just not much hope the future as far as your ministry is concerned I want you to remember something if you can the other one is always there when you think nobody cares and by the way not just the other comforter But hallelujah to God. The other ones are there. Around this auditorium. And could I encourage you? Let's look for people who need the other one. Let's go find old David with somebody ranking on him. Say, hey, pal. Come on, turn away from that loud, come on over here. It's okay. Thank God for the other one. You church people, you better make sure that you're the other one for your preacher. Don't you let me hear that you're a I might get mad. I'm six feet four. I can handle most of you in here. Some of you, I'll go ahead and let you be alive. I won't bother you. But the rest of you, we'll take care of you. Nah, be the other one. God knows how desperately your preacher needs you. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org.